Welcome back everyone to Poem Crit 101. As always, I'm Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood intensivist. And today we're gonna to discuss everyone's favorite topic, hyponatremia. I know no one likes talking about hyponatremia and it's not sexy like a lot of other critical care topics, but it can have disastrous complications if we don't treat it properly. Plus, exam writers love testing on hyponatremia. You're going to see at least a couple of questions about this topic. So I think it's really important that we go over it. I was reviewing the topic myself, and I was trying to come up with a good way to make it easy to remember, and I think I might have stumbled upon one. So let's think about a example patient, uh, Mr. Smith. And you know, you, he's your new patient, and you see he's got hyponatremia, we'll say sodium of 120. So the first thing you need to do is figure out the underlying cause before you even start treatment, right? So the first step in figuring out the underlying cause is to look at what is the tonicity, not volume status. Oftentimes people think about volume status as the very first step, but in fact, you want to know the tonicity. And how you actually calculate this is you take the BUN, multiply that by two, and subtract that from the measured osmolality. And remember, the formula for the measured osmolality, that's the same one we use when we're calculating the osmolar gap. So once you calculate that tonicity, then you can kind of subcategorize your hyponatremia into hypertonic hyponatremia, isotonic hyponatremia, and hypotonic hyponatremia. So when we think about hypertonic hyponatremia, these are usually the patients that will have a tonicity greater than 295, and usually this is due to hyperglycemia or if they've gotten mannitol or glycerol for some reason. Isotonic hyponatremia is going to have a tonicity of 280 to 295. And we actually also call this pseudohyponatremia. And usually what happens here is you have extra solutes like, in, like in hyperlipidemia or even hyperproteinemia, like what you would see in someone with multiple myeloma. Now, if you have a tonicity less than 280, that's what we call hypotonic hyponatremia. And this is really the majority of the cases that you're going to see in patients in the ICU. So once you determine the tonicity, that's when the next step is to look at the volume status. And so how we split people up is based on hypervolemia, euvolemia, and hypovolemia. And remember, these are all patients that are hypotonic. Okay. So let's start with hypotonic hypovolemic hyponatremia. When we think about causes of this category of hyponatremia, we want to split the causes into renal losses and extra renal losses. So when we think about extra renal losses, we're going to think about things like, you know, patients who are vomiting, have diarrhea, maybe their third spacing due to burns, pancreatitis, or even traumatized muscle, like a rhabdo sort of a picture. And when we think about renal losses, we're going to think about those patients who are maybe abusing diuretics. They have a mineral, mineral corticoid deficiency. They have an RTA or they have an osmotic diuresis with glucose, urea, or mannitol. And along with thinking about those causes, we can actually look at some lab values that will help kind of confirm what that etiology is. So remember, anyone who's got hypovolemic hyponatremia, they're going to have a urine osmolarity greater than 200. Now, to delineate things even further, if the cause is from an extra renal loss, they'll have that urine osmolar osmolarity greater than 200, but they're going to have a urine sodium less than 10, while those who have renal losses will have a urine sodium greater than 10. 
So to reiterate, if it's an extra renal loss and you're a hypovolemic, hyponatremic patient, your urine sodium will be less than 10. But if it's a renal loss, your urine sodium is going to be greater than 10. And when you think about hypovolemic hyponatremia in general, think about it this way. You're going to have a decrease in both total body water and total sodium, but the decrease in total total body water is going to be greater. Always keep in mind, hyponatremia is a water problem, not a sodium problem. Now, there's an interesting concept uh, related to hyponatremia in terms of cerebral salt wasting. And what happens here is that the injured brain, for whatever reason, it suffered some sort of injury, it then releases BNP, which then induces renal sodium wasting and at the same time inhibits renin. So remember here how to differentiate cerebral salt wasting from any of the other renal or extra renal losses and hypovolemic hyponatremia is to remember that the urine sodium is going to be greater than 40. All right. So I'm pretty sure everyone has a good handle on hypovolemic hyponatremia. Let's move on to euvolemic hyponatremia. So usually when we think about euvolemic hyponatremia and causes, we think about things like adrenal insufficiency, hypothyroidism, psychogenic polydipsia, and even drugs like thiazide diuretics, NSAIDs, a low-solute diet like your patients who've got a beer potomania or maybe your elderly patient who's on that tea and toast diet. And of course, you cannot forget SIADH. And if you guys haven't figured this out already, always remember SIADH and hyponatremia, these are buzzwords for lung cancer, specifically small cell, that comes under that perineoplastic syndrome. So with people who got euvolemic hyponatremia, when we think about the urine osmolarity, that value is going to be greater than 200, and the urine sodium will be greater than 20, except... In people who've got psychogenic polydipsia or who are on a low-solute diet, they're going to have a urine osmolarity greater than, excuse me, less than 100 and a urine sodium less than 10. So to reiterate, anyone who's got eubolemic hyponatremia, urine osmols are going to be greater than 200, urine sodium greater than 20, unless they've got that low-solute diet or psychogenic polydipsia and then their urine osmols are going to be less than 100, and their urine sodium is going to be less than 10. Pretty straightforward, right? So let's move on to the last group, hypervolemic hyponatremia. So these are going to be your usual players, people who've got CHF, nephrotic syndrome, and cirrhosis. And so you may be thinking, how do they even get hyponatremic when they're overloaded like this? So what actually happens is that in these states, they have what's called a low effective circulating volume. This basically tricks the body into thinking, well, hey, I need to secrete ADH. And that secretion of ADH will then activate your RAS system, your renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, which then results in an increase in both total body water and sodium. But remember, because hyponatremia is a water problem, not a sodium problem, you're going to have a greater increase in total body water. Now, the other thing to remember is that you can also have acute and chronic renal failure as causes of hypervolemic hyponatremia, not as common as the typical CHF necrotic syndrome and cirrhosis, but you should remember these causes because for acute and chronic renal failure to cause hypervolemic hyponatremia, you got to remember that the urine osmols are going to be greater than 200 and 
the urine sodium will be less than 10. Now that's going to be in the CHF nephrotic syndrome cirrhotic group. But in the acute and chronic renal failure group, that urine sodium is going to be greater than 20. So to reiterate, in the hypervolemic group, the urine osmols are going to be greater than 200. And in the subcategory of CHF nephrotic syndrome and cirrhosis, the urine sodium is going to be less than 10, while in renal failure, that urine sodium is going to be greater than 20. Now, that honestly was the hardest part. Really, the most difficult part is figuring out what is the cause of your hyponatremia, because once you figure out the cause, then you can delineate how do I treat my patient. So if they're severe and symptomatic, the answer is always hypertonic saline. And remember, yes, central axis is preferred, but getting a central line in or some sort of central axis should not delay treatment. So if you have a midline or even a peripheral, just go ahead and start that hypertonic saline. And then once you get your central axis, then you can switch things over. Now, if someone is hypovolemic, sure, give some isotonic IV fluids. But if they're hypervolemic, think about maybe fluid restricting them and possibly even loop diuretics, depending on the clinical situation. Now, what we haven't talked about yet is euvolemic patients. And those are kind of the most tricky ones because you could give them fluids, but in reality, the best case scenario is to fluid restrict them. And of course, treat the underlying cause. For example, if someone had hypothyroidism or a new diagnosis of lung cancer. There's also another treatment that we can give in this group, and these are called VAPTANs. VAPTANs are actually V2 antagonists, and what they do is they counteract the effect of ADH on the collecting ducts. So you'll get something called an electrolyte-sparing aquaresis, or basically a solute-free water excretion. I have to say this, though. Using VAPTANs in critically ill patients has not really been studied well, so I'd really only consider using them in refractory cases or if you've talked with a nephrology team. Another thing to remember is that you really can't use VAPTANs for more than 30 days, and if the patient has liver disease, they're an absolute contraindication. Now, when we talk about correcting hyponatremia, we have to remember the rate of sodium correction is going to be around 10 points over 24 hours. I've seen literature that suggests anywhere from 8 to 12, but remember 10 is probably a safe bet. Because remember, this is all about keeping the brain happy. If you correct too fast or don't correct quickly enough, the brain is not going to be able to adapt fast enough to all the fluid shifts. And then you can get disastrous consequences like what I'm sure you guys are all well aware of, osmotic demyelination. So honestly, guys, that's it for me. That's really a great summary, I think, of hyponatremia. And I think the easiest way to think about it is to figure out your underlying cause, use your lab values for confirmation. And once you know what category you're in, then you can go ahead and treat. It's pretty simple. And make sure you don't overcorrect or undercorrect in those first 24 hours, which is crucial. I hope this was helpful for everyone. It was helpful for me. And as always, I'm Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood intensivist, and thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another wild case.